back, we're ready to go. Yeah. So how many, uh, in the last session, you had a list of a few things that you realised, oh, that, oh, that's me there, that's me there. That's, how many found some things came to mind? That's quite good. Good, so just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Lord, show me where I'm needing to be set free. Where do I first need to break out and what's there? So as things come up, uh, jot them down, things the Holy Spirit speaks to you about. As things come up, we have a question, jot that down so you can remember later on. So well, I need to get some information about that. Okay, we want to uh, just look in the next session, I want to just look at the area of curses and uh, what they are and how to deal with them. Recognizing curses uh, for, for people who ha have a spiritual worldview, blessing and curses are a great reality. Blessing means there's a flow of spiritual power that brings favor around my life. Cursing means there is a flow of spiritual power that obstructs and frustrates and sets me back continually. And so we want to identify what curses are and just to look at how we would recognize them, what we would look for, and uh, then how you would actually go about addressing it. So in Deuteronomy 28, the Bible talks about blessings and cursings. Now, there's a huge difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, how God has dealt with us. Now we are blessed. We are a blessed people. However, there may be evidences of old things still operating which have legal rights that need to be cancelled and addressed. So in uh, Deuteronomy 28, it lists out the blessings of obedience. It lists out cursings that come from disobedience. And uh, so, uh, moreover, all these curses shall come upon you, pursue you, and overtake you until you destroy destroyed. And notice about curses, they're spoken of as though there's something living. They will, notice what it uses the word, they will come on you. <laughs> Suddenly when you don't expect that there it is, They'll pursue you. It's like you can't run away from it, and they'll overtake you. So when Jesus, uh, when the, when God is describing the nature of a curse, there is clearly a spiritual force, a demonic power operating behind that comes on you and pursues you, overtakes you, and has negative or destructive forces. So uh, curses come on people means they just turn up. You've got no idea where they came from. There's no apparent reason, but there is always a reason. Uh, curse, uh, curses tend to pursue people, so wherever you go, you are. You're there. So therefore, they can, <laughs> that's where the curse will be. Where you are, it's attached to you, so that's why it runs after you. Uh, curses overtake people uh, and tend to overcome them. So, uh, key aspects of a curse is that a curse can impact not only an individual, but also a family itself, generationally, and also a larger group, like a whole tribe, can have a particular cursing operating around them. Uh, uh, groups, organizations can have a curse running around them. Uh, I have, uh, I recently um, had the opportunity to um, speak into a movement of churches in New Zealand and the Lord gave me uh, insight that enabled us to establish a pattern that was destructive within the movement that had gone on and pursued it all these years. And when I shared with them what I could see and what I knew, the Holy Ghost came on them and they began to break down and weep. And since that time, they worked systematically to address all of those issues. And now God just suddenly brought a blessing and increase. What they've tried to do for years has now started to come about and started to come into, their, in, into existence. And I, to an extent where I'm, I'm astonished, really, 
I don't want to identify what movement it is, but it's a movement of churches in our own nation. And within the roots of it, there was a pattern that had continued and persisted. And they said after that I'd shared with them, they looked into it even further, and they found it pervaded every aspect of their churches. Isn't that extraordinary? And uh, once they brought it to the Lord as a leadership and dealt with it, and then addressed it uh, and put everything right, it's immediately everything has started to come into place for them. I'm still stunned at trying to get a hold of the significance of all of that. So, uh, so curses can affect uh, uh, whole groups of people, and a curse, when it's operating, allows demons to operate. The power behind a curse is a demonic spirit. So uh, we tend to think of cursing someone swearing, but those who have a spiritual worldview, what, what they're looking at is the demonic realm having a legal access, a legal right to come and create havoc and destruction. So how would you know if some kind of curse or some demonic power was operating? What would you look for? You'd be looking for something that shows up in lifestyles, it shows up in behaviors. You're looking at something that would show up in repeated patterns. And so I want to, the, the keys to finding these are found in Deuteronomy 28. Uh, it starts off there, of course, in verse 45, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you because you, until uh, you destroy, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and statutes. Now, if we go through there in Deuteronomy 28, and the verses in Deuteronomy 28, from verse 15 through almost to verse 45, it lists in detail what curses look like when they're operating. And so I wanted, well, I've broken them down into a number of headings so you could identify them, and I put the scripture reference there. They're all found in, uh, pretty well all found in Deuteronomy 28. Uh, so, uh, firstly, is mental and emotional breakdown. So if there's a pattern in your family of mental or emotional breakdowns, there's almost certainly some <coughs> spiritual power at work. If it's just one person, well, there'd be something in that one person, but if there's several in the same family line, then there's obviously something that's got an inroad in. So uh, repeated uh, patterns of mental or emotional breakdown. A second one is chronic disease or sickness. So where this, by chronic, I mean it keeps repeating. It keeps repeating. The, the law will make pestilence cling to you till he's consumed you. It'll bring back to you all the... Uh, um, the uh, Sicknesses of Egypt, which you're afraid of, and they shall cling to you. So repeated cycles of sickness or disease. Uh, family sickness that can't be healed. So we found our family that, uh, for example, one of my daughters had a particular skin condition that wouldn't go away. And it just persisted. We prayed and prayed and prayed, couldn't get rid of it. And then she, she was just listening to the Lord, and he showed her how that, uh, one, it was rooted in anxiety family generational spirit and also how she'd taken on responsibility for the rest of the family when they were quite young when she let all of that go overnight the eczema all vanished it was quite, so, so there was clearly a spirit that was behind the sickness and infirmity uh, so another one is um, history of women with problems with their womb uh, barrenness, they can't conceive at all or miscarriages, they continually miscarry or have several miscarriages, or fertility problems or bleeding problems, these are often indication that there's some form of cursing is operating. And uh, so it says, curses the fruit of your body, 
Hosea talks in 9.14, Hosea 9.14, that uh, um, idolatry results in miscarriages. You'll just cast off the fruit of your work. So if you have a family and you know that there's some form of uh, regular and repeated problems that the woman has, there's almost certainly some form of cursing operating. Uh, and uh, there can be many causes of the curse, we've got to find the root, the root cause. Uh, a, th- a fourth one is marriage and family breakdowns. If there's repeated patterns of marriage or family breakdowns, so the family continually, they can never build marriage. It's like something is destroying marriages, something is destroying families. That often indicates that there's a curse operating, constant quarreling and fighting, breakdowns. But it's the pattern of it. It's not just confined to one. It's actually in a family line. That's how we can see that it's generational and it's a cursing of some kind. Another one is financial setbacks, uh, where uh, constantly there are setbacks. So the person's managing money the best they can, but no matter what they do, they keep getting these setbacks just when they should prosper. And uh, it could be constant layoffs at work, uh, harassment in the workplace, constant problems with housing, foreclosure on housing, these problems with landlords. It's almost like everything around the provisional area of their life just keeps going wrong and toxic. Often there's a cursing around there. Uh, a person accident proneness. Have you ever noticed that some people are accident prone? And if there's a history of it in your family, then it's generational. And also there's an element or an area of it which is related to some curse, some demonic power. So freak accidents, uh, uh, regular car accidents, uh, lots of broken limbs. These can indicate there's some hidden kind of curse operating, some spirit is operating. Remember, the power of a curse is a spirit, the power of blessing is the Holy Spirit. A history of suicides or premature violent deaths. So if you look into your family background and you start to notice then that there are premature deaths or suicides, if there's more than one, there's some kind of curses operating in the family. Uh, there's some kind of demonic power. Uh, patterns of mistreatment and abuse. They also indicate that uh, physical abuse, abusive relationships, those patterns are in the family. It would indicate, one, there's a cursing operating that needs to be broken. Two, there are family patterns and habits that need to be, to be changed. Another one which I noticed in Genesis 4.11 was the inability to settle down. And uh, like being a gypsy, that a person can never form roots. They're there for just a little while and then they're just up and for some reason, when, they, when they've just been there long enough to start to prosper, suddenly they're up and we're shifting. And there's no apparent reason, there's no work reason, it's just the person who's got restless and feel like, I, must, I need to move on, I need to move on. And that can be, uh, remember that Cain was cursed, that he would be a fugitive and a vagabond, he would never settle, he would just continually move and travel around. So that's evidence of a cursing too. And so I have come across people, and it's like they could never settle anywhere. They'd just be there for a while, and then I've got to go. Now, it could be it's in the family pattern, that their own pattern and their background was one of shifting from one place to another, and everyone learned not to make friends. But always look for some spiritual roots before trying to just solve problems. Look for some spiritual roots behind it. So there are, there's always a cause for a curse. If there's a curse operating in a family or in a personal life, there's always a reason for it. Think that, there's always a reason. That's what it says in Proverbs 6 verse 2, like a flying sparrow or a flying swallow, so a curse without a cause shall not fall. What he's saying is, if there's a curse, there's a cause. If something bad is there, there's a reason it's there. Find out the reason and then you can deal with the curse. So let's have a look what some of the possible causes of a curse. Now, first, before we go there, 
How many of you can recognize, maybe even in your own family, that you've got one of those patterns operating? Whoa, look at that. Wow, we may have to have a ministry time. Could be exciting. <laughs> Could be very exciting. We'll save it up till after lunch. We'll be having demons a long time now, so a little bit longer won't matter. <laughs> Deal with them soon. <laughs> so that'll be fun. So, how many recognize more than one pattern that's running through your family life? Wow, there's a whole number of you. Okay, that's great. Well, it'd be great for us to get into it after lunch tonight. That'd be good to do that. So, um, so what are some of the causes for it? Well, I've, I've, I've tried to find, and actually, there seems like there's a variety of causes, and the Holy Spirit's got to bring them to the surface. And uh, so one of the most obvious ones is idolatry. Every, where there's practicing idolatry, curses are inevitable. So what you'll often find when people, when you're in a culture with idolatry, sickness abounds. Sickness abounds, idolatry, sickness abounds. Uh, everywhere there's idolatry. Second thing is um, a cause or root cause is occult practices. You get involved with the occult, you're involved with demons, sickness and cursing is inevitable. And here's one I found, is one that people don't recognize. Dishonoring your parents. Dishonoring your parents opens the door for cursing. Now, for example, in, uh, in Ephesians chapter uh, 6, honor your father and mother that, it, that you may live long it may go well with you. Now, notice that the consequence of honor is health and prospering in your life. So that implies that the consequence of dishonor is sickness and problems with health, short life, premature death, and problems throughout your life. And I have discovered of all of one of the biggest keys to things working right in your life is to ensure that you come to a place of resolving issues with your parents and you come to a place of peace in your heart with their weaknesses and their failures and their lacks and you come to freedom to honor them and be appreciative of who they are. Now, all parents make mistakes. All parents have their flaws and their issues. But God doesn't worry too much about that. He says how you respond is really important. So honor that it may go well with you. And throughout the Bible, I can show you many scriptures, it's very, very clear that when there's dishonor of parents, there are demonic problems. comes up says that the one who dishonors his father and despises his mother says the ravens of the valley shall pick his eyes out. Now, the ravens of the valley speak of demonic spirits. And to pick the eyes out means to cause you to become blind or in darkness so you can't see. So one of the, a key cause of cursing is this impact of dishonoring your parents. And if you want to prosper in life, bring Bring resolution to the home conflicts, the home issues, the home thing. That will require uh, forgiveness and repentance and uh, decision to bless instead of remain bitter. And, uh, and, and so have a think about that one. And, uh, uh, you know, if you find that you're avoiding parents or your intention is around when you're with them, the chances are you've got something going on inside you that needs to be resolved. Another one in Deuteronomy 27 is mistreating the people who are weak or oppressing or treating people who are weak or sick in some kind of way or handicapped in some kind of way. We don't like to use that word. We use the word disabled. But if a person's disabled and you mistreat them, the Bible says a curse comes on you. God is very concerned about justice and, and the treatment of people who are poor or who are afflicted in some kind of way. The Bible is full of that. 
It says, he that disregards the cry of the poor shall himself cry and not be heard. So God is very concerned about how our attitude uh, towards justice, towards people who are handicapped, disabled, or in any kind of way impaired. We should watch that we don't dishonor, disrespect them, but treat them properly. Uh, unlawful sexual relationships have already looked at. Violence and abuse brings a curse. So you notice that families where there's violence, it is a generational thing. It just keeps on going. The pattern of violence just continues one generation of cursing. Uh, it's alarmed me how abusive, verbally abusive, many of our own uh, native culture, the, the Maori people are to one another. I, I, the way I've heard some speaking to one another, they're actually literally cursing each other. And no white person could say that without getting a huge, severe reaction, but they seem to feel... And many seem to feel it's okay to speak that way to one another. And this is cursing one another is always going to end up with problems. So violence and abuse always bring cycles of cursing and demonic powers. Another one which is very clearly outlined in, in Genesis 12 verse 3 is anti-Semitism or being anti-the Jews or acting in a way hostile or contrary to the Jewish people. And, uh, and the Bible says those that bless Abraham and his family, those who bless... Those who, who bless him will be blessed. Those who curse him will be cursed. So that's still an application. It still is there. That's why we have to guard that we don't have an attitude or a, a negative thing towards the Jews in any kind of way. Stealing and lying opens the way for a curse. And lying and stealing always go together. If you steal, you'll cover and you'll have to lie. In, in Zechariah 5 verse 3 to 4, it tells that a curse will enter the house of the person who steals. It actually says a curse will enter and you fly into the house. So when there's, when there's stealing and lying going on, is nothing you do prospers. Now, it appears as though you prosper, but what you don't see is what really goes on in the true riches, which are the relationships and the family building. And where there's stealing and lying going on, there's massive destruction and erosion. And sure, there may be some short-term material advantage, but somehow it all turns to dust. There's, there is a curse where there is stealing. That's why we want to operate in integrity in all our finances. We don't need cursing coming into our life. We don't want to break the laws that will involve demonic powers coming in and plundering what God wants to bless us with. Uh, word curses are a, an evident one, of course. Word curses are words spoken by authority figures, spoken uh, by yourself, over yourself. Oh, I'll never get anywhere. Or, I'm a failure. I'll never get anywhere. Uh, curses spoken by parents over their children uh, can create huge problems because they activate demonic spirits. Um, sometimes in some cultures, demon, uh, uh, you'll have people arise to curse you if you're working in missionary areas particularly. Uh, sometimes uh, people who operate in the cult will endeavor to curse you. The curse always has to have a reason to rest. I remember I was in a meeting in Indonesia, a fantastic meeting, and there were about 2,000 people there, and three witch doctors came to have a conf confrontation. They wanted to stand up and, and strip the power off me, whatever power it was. And so they came, and they are all wound up to do it. I never even saw them. I just had a great meeting, and people got delivered. Then it turns out later that three of them had stood up to do this stuff, and the, the moment they stood to their feet, boom, the power got hit them. They were just thrown on the ground, could not get up. They actually had to crawl out of the meeting. So... so uh, so the cursing did not rest because it's flowing in the power of the Spirit. Dave was able to whip around and catch one of them and confront them and cast the demons out. One of them got saved. So um, cursed objects can create problems in your home. Uh, and we talked about that before. Deuteronomy 7, 34 to 35 says, don't even bring them into your home. So 
we need to guard our home from having idols and, and, and uh, focal points for demonic spirits. Otherwise, it can introduce sickness, turmoil, conflicts into the home. And of course, the last one we had was generational iniquities. So I've given a list that I found. This, it's probably not an exhaustive list. There probably be other, but these are ones commonly that I have seen or have come up when I've, I've ministered to people, uh, those various kind of areas. So if you know that something is going wrong and it keeps going wrong, there's got to be a reason. So what is the reason? So when did it first start? Was it very young? Was it in the family line? Is it been a pattern in the family line? Is it generational? Where does this thing come from? Let's track it down to its root. What is the potential cause? Was it idolatry, spiritism? So, and the Holy Spirit, if we ask him, can bring to the surface, bring a memory, a picture, bring something up to the surface that brings to mind. This is what we think it might be. So how can people be set free from curses? It's not as, it's not as difficult as it looks. Remember, many of the curses are generational, but not all. Uh, I remember talking to one young man, and uh, he was in conflict with one of our leaders in our church. And uh, so I went to sit and talk with him to try and work it all out and tried to find out. And of course, he had his whole reason for why he was in conflict with his leader. Oh, it's okay. I said, well, tell me about how you're getting on at workplace. He said, I've just shifted job. I said, why did you shift job? So he had a conflict with the boss. Oh, really? He said, what about the last work? Oh, no, same thing happened there. And uh, I said, oh, really? He said, do you ever have a good job you like? He said, oh, yeah, and he told me the job he liked. He said, that was great. Said he had to get off with the, the boss there. Oh, well, not too good. Actually, I fell out with him. Oh, really? I said, tell me, how'd you get on at school? Oh, didn't do so good at school. I said, what about the teachers? How'd you get on with the teachers? No, I didn't get on with the teachers at all. Oh, really? Now, he's starting to see a pattern starting to develop now. And I said, well, okay, then. How about your dad? How'd you get on with your dad? Oh, I didn't like my dad. He kicked me out of home. I said, really? And he said, well, it wasn't my real dad. He was my stepdad. I was adopted. I said, oh, really? And I said, how interesting. And I, and, and, I, and I could see straight away that there is a common pattern in it all. There is a pattern of conflict and uh, reaction to authority figures all the way through his life. And the root goes right back to him being rejected and having bitterness and resentment against his father and mother for rejecting him. And it projected against the adoptive parents and then every authority figure in life. And so whatever he put his hand to, was cursed. It just would not prosper and go ahead. And I've watched him make plan after plan after plan, and it would not prosper. It's like, it was a great plan. Yes, it should succeed. Didn't quite pull it off. Something went wrong at the last minute. And it was like, there's no reason for it, but it happened. And in this case, the cursing went right back to the whole thing of being adopted and the bitterness in the heart, the judgments against the father and the spirits that had access to work why he didn't deal with the heart issue. The idea? Okay then, so how are we going to deal with uh, 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 freedom from curse? We have to first identify with the, we have to find out what the curse is and try to identify where it came from. And then I found a very simple process is, is to take it step by step. Uh, is very, very simple. Uh, you are dealing, when you're dealing with a curse, with a legal right. The demon has a right to be there. Remove the right and the demon will go quite quickly. Remove the legal right. Now, that's a crucial part of dealing with all of this stuff is removing legal rights, removing the grounds the spirit claims it has to be in the person's life. Now, in Galatians 3, verse 13 and 14, Christ has redeemed us from the curse. That means he's paid the full price for us to be free of cursings. He become a curse for us. So what? So we could be blessed. The blessing of Abraham come on us and on the Gentiles through faith in Christ. 
There it is. That Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Now, God's intention is this, is that when you come to Christ, you are repositioned in a place of blessing. In Ephesians 1, it tells us, verse 3, He has blessed us with every blessing in spiritual places, in heavenly places. So already you are blessed. You are in a place of blessing. You don't have to do something in order to get blessed. You are already, in identifying with Christ, blessed. What we do need to do, though, many times, is to break legal rights that evil spirits have, which they still cling on to, to afflict us. So how do we do that? I think, number one, the person needs to recognize what the issue is. They need to recognize this is what my problem is. They need to repent of any sin that they have done that's opened the door to that. So repentance is a crucial part. Uh, if there's a cursing, we should speak it off our life. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I renounce that curse. I cancel that curse. I cancel all agreements made with evil spirits. I renounce it in Jesus' name. It's not a hard thing to do. Speak and break this off your life. Make a stand. I belong to Christ. I cancel this thing over my life. So our keys to freedom are recognizing there's a problem, standing up and identifying with Christ, repenting of the sin, renouncing the bondage, forgiving those who've hurt us, and claiming freedom in Christ. It's always the same pretty well for all area of deliverance. Recognize the problem, repent of any sin, renounce any cursing, release forgiveness, and receive forgiveness for what we've done, and then make a stand to resist. So we'll later on, will lead you through a prayer to make a stand around that area, and let's see what God will do. Right? Remember what it is again. I need to recognize the problem and own responsibility. It's my problem. It won't go until I own it. Secondly, I need to come to the Lord and acknowledge who he is and what he's done and repent of any sin that gives this thing right to be there. Third, I need to release forgiveness uh, to any who have, opened the, who have hurt me or opened the way for this cursing to come. For to renounce the spirit, to renounce the bondage. In Jesus' name, I renounce and cancel any bondage caused by this, any legal right, any legal ground established by uh, the sin, and then resist the spirits. In Jesus' name, go from my life. I resist you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'll lead you in a prayer a little later to do that. It's quite simple. So that's the foundation. It's always the same foundations for freedom. You can move them around, change them a little, but it always seems to me to come down to the same thing. I need to identify with Christ, recognize the problem, identify with Christ. I need to come to a place of repentance, releasing forgiveness, and receiving forgiveness, renouncing sin, renouncing the curses, and then resisting. It's always the same. And I put it down in some words which are quite easy to remember. Recognize, repent, renounce, release, receive and resist. Quite simple things. Recognize the problem and take responsibility. Repent of the sin that opened the door. Renounce any cursing. Release forgiveness and receive forgiveness. And then resist all spirits that were involved. And so that's how we do it. It's not very hard. And in, 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 in dealing with a person or helping a person, you would just do a simple thing like that. Lead them through a prayer to acknowledge Christ. Confess the sin. Renounce the sin. Renounce the curse. Release forgiveness and then claim freedom. Our part is break the curse. It's not hard. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I break that curse. I command that spirit to go in Jesus' name. It's not very hard, that part of it. That's the easy part. The harder part is finding out what the root cause, what the root bondage is. 
Okay then, so sometimes a little bit, we'll talk about how to do the process of deliverance this afternoon, the session after, after lunch. But uh, it's helpful if you just understand that for setting people free, I always see that there are several things that are needed for it. So I'll just go through them again to set a person free. Number one, they must recognize and take responsibility for their problem. They have to own it. Until, if a person's blaming someone else, trying to find a reason someone else is to blame, they're never going to be free. You only have a power over what you own and what you're responsible for. So the first place is recognition. So if you recognize that you have a problem operating in your life now, don't be blaming anyone else. Just say, God, what is my part in this and what do I need to do to get free? Sometimes people want to blame a parent. Well, maybe a parent was a terrible parent. That doesn't mean we shouldn't honor them. God will hold them responsible for what they do. Your part is to create honor and to have a right attitude. So, number one, I get them to face and own responsibility for what they have done. Number two, I get the person almost always, I found it helpful, if they acknowledge their relationship with Christ and what he's done. Very, very simple thing like, I confess Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord. I am redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ from every curse, every evil spirit, and all the power of sin. It's helpful to acknowledge that. Just even doing that, you, you position yourself for a battle. It's just saying, I'm on the Lord's side. It's putting words to, I'm on the Lord's side and I belong to him. And it's quite helpful always to do that. I come to you, Father, I come to you in Jesus, and I confess Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord. I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ from every curse, every evil spirit, all the power of sin. I am redeemed. I belong to Jesus Christ. It's really helpful to make that kind of profession of faith. Now, Lord, I confess this cursing, or I confess the sin that's upon my life right now. I ask you to forgive me. It's really good to just be quite honest and straightforward about that. Now, the next part, I will vary a little bit depending on how the Holy Ghost leads, but it's always both are there. And Lord, I release forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and I receive your forgiveness for my sins. I release forgiveness. I release forgiveness. I give forgiveness. Lord, you've forgiven me. I forgive them. It is important from the heart to let go of forgiveness. If we don't, bondages stay there. Then the next thing is, now I renounce this curse. I renounce that curse of poverty. I renounce that curse that's come, that occultism, that spirit that's come down our family line. I renounce it in Jesus' name. I cancel its power. All agreements my family have made with evil spirits or all actions they've done that open the way for the curse, I just renounce them now. I speak them off my life. Now, I, Lord, ask you to set me free. Satan, go from my life in Jesus' name. Now, I found that a very simple process to work through. You don't have to remember lots. I find it hard if I have lots of written prayers to be able to feel the flow of the Spirit in it. I like to be able to flow out of a revelation in the Spirit rather than trying to have it a routine. Some like a routine, have it all written down. I found it helpful if you can just remember the key parts and stay in the flow of listening to God as you speak and pray. So the first part, remember, just go back it again. The person has to own responsibility. It is my problem. I'm not blaming anyone. I've just come to own my part and get set free. This is a crucial one, and most of your preparation is around that. The second thing is then, as I lead them to profess their faith in Christ. Father, 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I come to you in Jesus' name. I confess Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ from every curse, every evil spirit, every sin. It's all broken in Jesus' name. I belong to Jesus Christ holy. Now that's like making a profession of faith. Now I repent of the sin. I turn to you and confess, Lord, I'm asking for your forgiveness. And I choose to release forgiveness. I hold nothing in my heart, no judgment, no bitterness. I renounce all bitter judgments and all inner vows that I have made, anything that's locked my life up to this thing. Lord, I renounce the cursings that are over my life. I speak them off. I cancel their power, any agreements. And think back that there may be someone's made agreements with a demon. Someone has actually entered into covenant with a demon. We don't know what people have done. As the Holy Spirit leads, some people cut themselves and have blood things to demons. That's very powerful. And uh, so we need to just renounce them all because the blood of Jesus is more powerful than that. Huh? And then finally resist. I take a stand to resist. So in ministering to people, that part's, it's, if you can get the heart prepared, then the ministry of deliverance is quite easy. It's just breaking the curses. In Jesus' name, I just break the curse. I command that spirit to go in Jesus' name. Okay? So how are we doing? Why don't we just stand up and move around and have a break for five minutes? Great. Okay. One of the things you'll realize as we uh, look in the, uh, at the, uh, the work of deliverance, we need the Holy Ghost. There's just too much that's covered that you wouldn't know. You can't do it without the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why I got you in your first exercise was just getting used to flowing with the Holy Spirit. And we'll do another one of those before we finish this morning. And uh, then this afternoon, we want to look at the Holy of just actually deliverance, what it would involve. Okay, how many have already become aware I've got some issues that I'd like to have sorted out? Huh? Okay, that's great. So we'll have some time to minister and pray today. And, uh, and, but some of these things, they, there's a journey on them, and there are two approaches. One is we just believe God together. We lead you through prayer and have a time of ministry. That will bring a certain measure of release. There's another way of dealing with it, which is by process, taking one problem in your life and step by step dealing with everything that contributes to it and then removing the demonic spirits out of it. And this is where the course prayers that heal the heart help with that. They take one issue and you walk your way down all the possible contributing factors, then deal with the demons around it. So uh, there's no one way of doing things and we're wanting to teach you about how to flow and to work with the Holy Spirit, how to work in deliverance. So I won't go into every aspect, we'll just keep you in just what I consider the basics. So I want to have a look just at the issue of breaking bondages. Bondages. Bondage. You think of someone tied up as in bondage. In uh, Luke 13 verse 16 it says, uh, Jesus said, Ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has bound 18 years be loosed from this bondage on the Sabbath? You've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but received the spirit that places you into sonship by which we call out Abba Father. So people can have bondages. Now, the, there are a whole range of different bondages, but almost always they end up with issues in your heart. And what I want to do is I want to identify a number of issues of the heart. The Bible says in Proverbs 4 and verse 23, it says, guard your heart because out of your heart flow all the issues of your life. Keep your heart for out of your heart will flow the issues of your life. So in my work uh, with deliverance over a number of years, I found that many, the, the majority of problems were caused by
by legal rights. But the legal rights were formed not just by sin, but also by, in many instances, reactions people made to being hurt. So uh, I, I've, I've listed some that uh, I have worked with. I want to just identify them for you so you become aware that these things are a bondage. It's not hard to break them, but you've got to recognize that it exists. When you recognize it exists and exercise authority over it, it will break. And then if there's any demon attached to it, you can get it out. So it's the, only the anointing of the Holy Spirit can break the yokes of bondage. Only God can do it. But he requires that we engage with him in that journey. So uh, let's go through and have a little look at some of the different kinds of bondages. So one of them, I've already referred to some of these. Let's just explain what each one is. Uh, number one, an ungodly soul tie or soul attachment. Eh? A soul tie or a soul attachment. Now, soul tie is a bonding between two people. God has designed us to be joined. We can join to the Lord and be spiritually bonded to him. We can join with people and be bonded to people. Uh, it says if, of uh, um, uh, this guy in the Old Testament, Genesis 34, verse 3, uh, he, uh, he abused Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and his soul cleaved or joined to her. So soul ties can be good. They can be godly. Husband and wife are bonded together. Parents and children, there's a bonding together. Those are good bondings. Bonding is very, very important. Uh, when we become part of a church, there's a bonding. We get connected. We feel bonded. So uh, a bonding is a crucial part of human development, the, the attachment. So you find a baby that does not attach or bond properly to a, to a parent never forms good intimate relationships. So God has designed us for bonding. And the first process or task any person has in life is to bond. So a child that doesn't bond will have huge issues later in life. Uh, then we need to separate and have our own identity. So if you can't separate and be your own person, you've also got problems. But soul ties have to do with bonding, a godly bonding or joining together. Husband and wife, parent and child, members of a church, uh, good friends. For example, Jonathan and David were great friends. The heart of Jonathan knit or was bonded to David. They were great friends. We sometimes use the word soulmates. There's a feeling of connectedness, and to be separated would create distress. But soul ties can also be ungodly, and uh, they can be uh, demonic in origin, out of God's order. And when they're out of God's order, then stress demonic activity and pain and trouble start to take place. So if a soul tie is ungodly, it's not in God's order, it's out of order. So for example, sexual sin uh, outside or sexual relationships outside ma marriage, the two are bound or bonded together. That's an ungodly joining and demon spirits can use it to harass people. A person can even be bound or soul tied to images. That's one of the deep problems with pornography is the person gets bonded to, to sexual images and uh, there's a tie to an image that they see, a fantasy realm and uh, that whole, or, or fantasizing, uh, and that whole realm, there's like a cord that's between that needs to be broken. Uh, a person can be soul tied to a uh, controlling person. So you get perhaps a father who's very abusive, controlling. Uh, there's a love-hate relationship goes on with that person. Uh, they're bonded, and the child often can't break away. Or it could be a controlling mother, an insecure mother who just fusses over and, and, and fills the child so much with anxiety they can't uh, seem to do anything for themselves. 
and the result is the child is soul tied in an unhealthy way to the mother and unable to break free. Uh, we call a person like that codependent. They're dependent on approval of someone and they can't live their life out. They're soul tied to the one they're dependent on. Uh, another one is uh, if someone is abusive, sexually abusive or physically abusive or verbally abusive, the most extraordinary thing is to find how many women cannot break free of an abusive man. There has to be a reason apart from logical. I mean, logic, you think, why would you stay there? And they just say, I don't know. I just can't seem to break free because there is a soul tie and a demonic power operating. And often a person who's in an abusive relationship needs quite some support to break free. Uh, they, without the support of friends, they just keep feeling obliged or guilty or duty-bound to go back. Uh, people can even be soul-tied to a dead person. Uh, what do I mean by that? Uh, suppose someone is not bonded well to their parents, got a strong attachment with a grandmother or grandfather, and they die, and they never let go or grieve properly. Now, one of the first phases of grief is shock and denial. So many times when a person comes into a pro instead of journeying through grief, they actually stop and lock up at the first phase, denial, or the second phase, anger, and they're just stuck in being angry and denying the whole thing. And so they don't journey through grief through its stages to get to release, and they remain locked to the person they've lost. So I have known of people who were soul-tied to a dead child that they lost, to a dead spouse that died, to a dead parent or grandparent, even to a dead animal. They got so attached, and then the grief was immense, and then they just somehow their life just fell apart afterwards. So soul ties are very, very powerful. And if they're ungodly or out of order or distorted in some way, then demonic spirits can harass the person. People can also be soul tied to an idol. So if someone's been involved in idolatry, often a huge fear is of letting go of that idol. What will happen to me if I let go? Uh, people can be soul tied to a trauma, traumatic experience, like an accident or an abuse. Um, they can be soul-tied to uh, uh, pornographic images. Uh, people can be soul-tied through blood covenants they've made. They're soul-tied to a demonic spirit or someone else, another person they made a blood covenant. Um, sometimes people can be soul-tied through tattoos to the person who shed blood in the, ma in the making of the tattoo. Tattoos can open the door for evil spirits. I'm not saying every person's got a tattoo who's got demons. But I have prayed for people, and, and when we broke the soul tie to the tattooist and came against the spirits entering in through the tattoo, there was massive deliverance. Often, it's because underneath it, there was a deep rejection or rebellion that was mobilizing the person to get the tattoo in the first place. Now, I'm, I'm not, you know, some of you here or may have tattoos or you've got them cleverly hidden. Uh, we're not condemning you. You have what you have. It's just helpful to be aware that all of these things can be doorways through which spirits can afflict people. So whenever there's a soul tie, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we just break that soul tie now. We hold the cross of Christ between those two people and release you from it. It's quite a simple thing to do, just as simple as that. Imagine a cord between the two people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I just cut that soul tie right now. I break it in Jesus' name. And as you're breaking it, begin to look in the Spirit, look in it, and allow God to show you what's happening. And uh, often you'll find there'll be just a sudden release, command the Spirit using that soul tie to go. Uh, another one, which is a very common one, which I found is a, is a death wish. When people are in a lot of pain or trauma, they make a death wish. They wish, I just wish I was dead. And so when a person does that, 
And there's examples in the Bible. Moses did it. Elijah did it in various times of stress. Uh, and when a person makes a death wish, they can open the door to agreement with the spirit of death. I just wish I was deaf. Spirit comes around them, and then they get numbed out and disconnected. And uh, so often death wishes are made when a person's uh, experienced sexual abuse, uh, painful failure. I just wish I could die. Uh, a long period of uh, extended stress and pressure, a controlling relationship, and the, the emotional turmoil, they can't see a way out. They just, I just wish I was dead. And so when a person has a death wish, that thing opens the door to a spirit of death, and often subsequently in times of stress, they suddenly feel they want to die. And then spirits of suicide will come around and say, well, it's the best thing. Do yourself a favor. Do everyone else a favor. Just kill yourself. And, and the person is tormented by demonic spirits of suicide and despair and deep self-rejection. And so when, we, uh, when a person makes a death wish, they've given up hope that God has a great future and they could walk their way through and they've rejected their own selves and they say, I just wish I was dead. And a lot of teenagers get locked in this kind of thing and that becomes a major problem for them. So when a person does this, they become in agreement with the spiritual power, the spirit of death that numbs and isolates them. And maybe some of you have been through a time of stress like that and, and uh, in that time of stress and pain have started to say those things you would have found that subsequently in life, when you're in stress, you'll easily tend towards becoming full of despair and hopelessness and rejecting yourself and then wanting to die. And if that's been the case, you should just openly up, bring it out to the Lord and let God help you with it. And, and, and dealing with a death wish, usually there's a pain that goes with it. It's helpful to talk about the pain and what happened, release forgiveness into the situation, and then renounce the death wish. In Jesus' name, I just renounce that death wish. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I cancel its power right now. I choose life. God is with me. Life is good. God has a great plan for my life. So God is a God of hope. So when people lose hope, that's when they start to make these death wishes. And they're far more common than you realize. And when people make them, they don't realize the agreement they've made with the spirit of death and what it can open up in their life. So just be aware of that one. Uh, I just wish I was dead. I just want to die. Uh, so uh, inevitably, it, on, it has ongoing impact in relational closeness and the ability to form close bonds. The person will isolate, withdraw, and shut down and just want to die. Okay, we got all quiet on that one. I could assume there's one or two have made those death wishes. So uh, it may well be that that's something you just need to put a tick beside or a cross beside or a circle around and say, I need to, before the day is out, resolve that issue. Amen? Okay, then. And you resolve it by acknowledging it and repenting of that desire to die and choosing life. I renounce that death wish. Okay, here's another one, a third one. A third one, which is a very common one, too, is an inner vow, an inner vow. A vow are words you speak which bind you to a commitment. An inner vow is like a people make a wedding vow. They speak the words out and they make commitments to one another. An inner vow is words spoken into yourself. And uh, an inner vow usually is, goes something like this. It usually starts with, I'll never do this. I'll never do that. I'll never trust a man. I'll never trust a woman. I'll never go out. I'll never do this and do that. And... Uh, so, for example, one of the things I did as an inner vow 
when I was a, a teenager, about 40. I can remember it clearly, absolutely clearly. And uh, we, we had to do this performing at school and stuff like that. And I made an inner vow, I'll never sing anywhere in front of people. <laughs> so, of course, I had these problems inside me all the time. I couldn't worship, couldn't let go, couldn't. I wasn't free until I dealt with the inner vow. And you would never think now, of course, that. But on the other hand, that was what was there. There was just a deep shame and a struggle I was facing in early teenage years. And singing just exemplified for me, just being on display and exposed. And I, I just did not want to have that kind of exposure. I made an inner vow not to deal with it. I remember praying with another woman, and she had had a number of uh, miscarriages. And she'd asked me to come and pray for her. And I remember going to think, God, this is so distressing. What do we do? I don't know what to do. And, and the Lord said... Um, uh, the child she's losing is a boy. All of them have been boys. Tell her to ask her father to pray for her. That's all he told me. And so I got there to the, the place and we tried to comfort the couple and they were losing a child again and uh, there's a number of miscarriages and, and uh, I said, what, what do you think the child is? He said, I think it's a boy. Oh, really? That's interesting. I said, what about the other one? Actually, I think they were all boys. And I said, well... I tell you what, your father's a Christian. Why don't you get your father? I said, how do you get on with your father? She said, oh, fine, I love my dad. And uh, he loves me. I said, she said, actually, I'm his favorite. And so I'm thinking, oh. I said, well, why don't you get your dad to pray for you then? No, I wouldn't do that. So really, there's a lot of reaction there. What's going on in there? And uh, so we began to talk. And then it turns out the family was incredibly dysfunctional. And the marriage was in problem. And the father had connected in an unhealthy way to one daughter and the mother to the other daughter and both daughters were messed up in different ways one because because of the uh, way the parents had transferred what should have been the intimacy of marriage and put it on the child and shared things they should never have shared and so the child felt controlled and I said did you ever at any time make an inner vow I'll never carry a male child and she stopped and looked she said yes I did I remember it clearly and she had made an inner vow, I'll never carry a male child. And so each child that she had, she just miscarried. Her body literally outworked the vow, and I believe behind it was a demonic spirit. So, there, of course, there are many other examples of things like that. But inner vows, vows spoken and made within, they're usually made in a time of pressure, stress, emotional pain, and, uh, or loss or tragedy in a relationship. Well, I'll never, and they often begin, I'll never do that. I'll never do that. Can anyone think of doing that? Can anyone think that? Isn't that amazing? Can you remember what you said? Can you, now, just for, now, just stop for a moment and think back to when you made that in a vow. Were you in pain and stress at that time? See, well, if you haven't actually come and addressed that, it's still operative. And so you'll have a block in your life to flowing into that area because a demonic spirit will lock onto it and hold you in bondage in that area. And so you'll try, later on you put it aside, it's like something you remember from way back. But now let me ask you this question. When you think about that area you made the inner vow, how many of you really have broken through to freedom in that area now? So you may find not so many are free. It's like it's a... It's, I've got to struggle. How many would struggle still in that area? It's like a, I've got to really work at that. The fact you've got to work at it and it doesn't flow naturally indicates a block. The things, of, things that we're free in should flow in our life. 
when they're blocked and the flow is blocked, you know, or there's a resistance, there's something causing the resistance. What is it? If it's the inner vow, why not you just deal with it and address it, come and open your heart and acknowledge, God, these things have happened to me. Lord, I was in such pain and grief. Why don't you renounce that inner vow right now? I choose life. Amen? So when we come back after lunch, we'll start to go through some areas and just have a time and just a ministry and see what God does. It'll be an interesting time to see what the Lord does. Amen? And nothing like learning it through experience yourself. And you think, oh, wow. <laughs> okay, then. So uh, there's another, another bondage of the heart, which is a very common one, too, and that is a bitter judgments, bitter root judgments or bitter expectations. Bitter ex it's like a negative belief that things are going to happen. And uh, so... Uh, when in Hebrews 12, verse 14, 15, it says, don't, make, don't let bitterness get in your heart. Uh, it says like, something like this, let no man fall from the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up. Now, whenever you're in conflict, you can either act in judgment or grace. You can either bless people and let it go, or you can judge people and become bitter. It's really the options. So if you are in a conflict situation, and you begin to judge, you often open the way then for things to happen or cycle to take place in your life. In Matthew 7, verse 1 and 2, it says, Do not judge, lest you will be judged. The judgment you judge, that's how it will come back to you. The measure you give it out, it will be measured back. So when you judge someone, you set in cycle or you set in place a cycle of sowing and reaping. Remember what it says, if you judge, it comes back to you the same way. In other words, the very thing you judged, now you find you're experiencing the very same thing. It's the law of sowing and reaping. So when a person makes a bitter judgment, it's like they expect that this is what's going to happen. They see, it's like a negative faith. It will attract into your life the very thing that you actually have judged. So for example, you can never trust men. Men will always let you down. So you notice most um, most bitter judgments have the word never or always in it. Never or always. And when you hear the word always, well, you always do that. That tells you there's a judgment there. Well, you never do that. That tells you there's a judgment there. Because you're not dealing anymore with a single uh, issue. You're dealing with a judgment. Someone says you never do that. That's a judgment. Someone says you always do that. That's a judgment. How could it be true I never do that? How could it be true I always do that? It's just not true. So, you know, you never trust men. They'll always let you down. You can see the two words of judgment in there, never and always. Now, do you know what a person who comes to that, now usually a person who comes to that judgment has had a bad experience or some bad experiences with a person, a man. So a woman would make a statement like that. And so she may have had some bad deals with her, or with her father or with some person she's in a relationship with, and she gets very hurt, and out of all the hurt she comes and, and resentment, she comes to the place, well, you never trust men, they'll always let you down. Now, what happened now is now there's a judgment in the heart. And the Bible says if there's a judgment in the heart, you can't see clearly anymore. You can't see the good. You can only see that. So for a person who makes a judgment, so for a person who's, for example, who's re, who believes who's got a spirit of rejection over their life, and they believe something like this, I'll never be good enough. Nothing I ever do is good enough. Now, you know what will happen? 
no matter what they do, every time they look at it, they themselves will see the fault. They can't see the good. They just see the fault. Why? Because their heart resonates, it's not good enough. It already has decided what the outcome is. It's not going to be good enough. A person who's, I'll never be accepted, or no one, I, no one could ever love me. You know what will happen? They'll enter a relationship expecting to be rejected, and then whatever happens, they'll interpret it immediately through the judgment. I'll give you another example. It's quite, a, quite an easy one to pick, and this is it. Suppose we have a person who's got a deep rejection in their heart. They have a spirit of rejection, but they've also got a, a bitter judgment in the heart. Okay? And the bitter judgment is, no one accepts me or wants me. Then suppose two men are standing there talking, and, uh, and, I, and I happen to walk in. Walk in, I'm very busy, preoccupied. I walk by, go past them both. I'm on my way. And both of them say, morning, Pastor, how are you this morning? And I just didn't hear. I just got preoccupied, as I sometimes do. And uh, away I go. And didn't hear. And I didn't say anything to either of them. I just missed it because I was focusing on something else. All right then. Now, one of them will look and say, oh, he's obviously preoccupied and busy. I'll catch him later. The other one will look at it and say, he doesn't like me. Uh, now, one of them is seeing out of a pure heart that just sees, oh, he must be busy. He didn't, he didn't hear what I said if he'd heard what I, he just There's no judgment whatsoever. It's just an observation. Oh, he's missed me. I'll catch him later. The other one has reread it through the eyes of a judgment and has interpreted it completely different. You would be amazed how many conflicts in relationships come about because we judge rather than observing. When you judge, you cannot see clearly. When I judge, I'm ascribing... Uh, some motivation to you, which I have really no way of telling whether it's there. It's my judgment I'm putting on you, and I'll be tormented. So the two men saw the same event. One read it one way, one read it the other way, but it was the same event. How could it be both? It can't be. It was just something happened. It's what how they judged it is what made the pain and the torment for one and the freedom for another. One said, it doesn't mean anything. The other said, it means this. It means he doesn't like me. And the one who says, it means he doesn't like me, is now tormented, and demons keep tormenting him, and it just racks around in his day and day and day and day and day. I've had people come to me after two years and say, you know, two years ago you, you did this. I'm thinking, two years ago? I don't, I don't remember two minutes ago. You know, two years ago. How can you remember two years ago? And they've been in torment for two years. And I'm thinking, whoa. I, mean, I remember thinking of a person who'd been in our church for many years and came and did that. And I was stunned, you know, to think you've been tormented and sitting there angry at me for two years. I didn't have a clue. You know, but the problem was they misinterpreted something. They actually put a judgment on. Now, the dilemma with judgments is when you have judgments in your life, they are a conclusion you yourself formed and you will live out of your judgments. And here's one of the things about bitter judgments, is they're like, a, they're like the opposite to faith. Faith brings in the good things of God. Bitter judgments brings in the very bad things you expected, now are drawn like a magnet into your life. And so even if the person is a good person, so suppose you get a young woman, marries a man, and her belief is you can never trust a man, they'll always let you down, uh, then you know what will happen? That man's going to let it down. 
And before he lets her down, in reality, she'll accuse him of letting her down many times when he didn't let her down at all. In other words, she will defile it. I'll give you an example. I was asked to counsel one person in, uh, in Taiwan, and I don't know why they asked me. They asked me to counsel. So I asked, well, what's the problem? She said, well, I've got this guy who wants to marry me. I said, oh, that's interesting. And uh, she said, well, I've got a child. I said, oh, that's interesting. How old's your child? You told me how old the child. I said, is, and, and, well, I said, who's the father of the child? Oh, it's another guy. Oh, okay. So tell me more. So anyway, she told the story, and here's the story. She'd had a relationship with this guy that's now wanting to marry her, and the relationship broke up, and she had a fling with someone else as a reaction, got pregnant, had the child, and uh, now she's got the baby. And the other guy, the first guy, is now interested in her, and uh, now she's weighing up whether she should marry him. I said, is he Christian? No. Oh, okay then. Well, why would you go ahead and want to do that? <clears throat> and I said, really? I said, tell me, <clears throat> why did the relationship break up? And she said, well, while we were going out together, he was unfaithful with me three times. I said, really? Well, I said, is he Christian yet? No, no. We said, well, he's not changed then, has he? He's the same person he was who was unfaithful then, is unfaithful again. So you're just asking for trouble. Do not do this. Then I, I said, tell me about your father. How's your father doing? Where, how do you get on with your father? Oh, I don't see my father much. I said, why is that? Well, my, the parents broke up when I was a teenager. I said, oh, isn't that interesting? He said, you don't see him anyway. I said, no, no, we don't get on too well. I said, really, that's interesting. And so tell me, uh, why did the marriage break up? She said, oh, he was unfaithful to my mother. I said, how many times? Three times. I said, can you not see that you are having a rerun of a bitter judgment of your father? It's literally replaying in your life again, just like it originally happened. Your father was unfaithful with your mother. He betrayed your mother, betrayed you. The marriage broke up, and he has caused huge grief and pain to your life, and you have judged him. Now you're drawing, you're drawing into someone who's done exactly the same to you and having broken free once, now you're drawing back in again to the same thing. You've got the conflict with your father and this is defiling how you see this relationship. You know what she said? I don't see that. I said, I'm sorry, I can't help you because this is actually how it is. You have a bitter judgment against your father and it's going to defile your relationships with men the rest of your life until you actually address it. This is what the problem is. I said, my counsel is very simple. Do not marry the man. You've got a problem in your heart with all men, and you need to resolve that first. But she didn't see it, so I've no doubt she's carried on. And quite a shame, really. But, you know, people, I, I, I was reminded again afterwards, I don't judge you for that. It's just, that's how life works, you know. We make our choices. But how Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. The same measure you judge, it'll come back to you. Then he said, notice this, he said, he said, hypocrite. He said, first remove the beam out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to get the speck out of the other. So what he's saying is when you've got judgment, it's like a big beam in your eye and you can't see clearly. So if you want to see clearly in relationship, you have to remove judgments. Judgments are demonic doorways for spirits to come in because Satan's the great accuser. And so if you have a bit of judgment in your heart, it's a huge open doorway for an evil spirit to come in. And so any time, so if it's a woman got an issue with men, she's going to have trouble with men all her life because every time they do something, the, this, the, 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 the accusing spirits will accuse and wind it up. And next thing you know, it's in high drive and high emotions emotions beyond what the instant call for. 
So you ever see someone who's in a high overdrive in their emotions, well above what the situation called for, they have got bitter judgments in their heart, there's unresolved conflict in their heart, and demons have got a hold of their life. The problem is not the demons. They're just energizing what's already there, making it worse. The problem are the bitter judgments. And the person needs to repent, release forgiveness, let go, and start to have grace and extend grace to people. I've really asked the Lord to help me to be a gracious person, to extend grace, and to walk in grace. It's not always the easiest thing to do. Here's another bondage in the heart. That's the area of word curses. Uh, word curses. And uh, word curses are words which are spoken with strength or feeling behind it. Uh, and if the person agrees with the words, then they agree with the demon that's behind it. In Proverbs 18.21, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So when you speak words, you have power to release things. Get this. The first use of words in the Bible was to bring something from the spirit world into the earth, into reality. So words, their first use is to bring something from heaven into the earth, or from hell into the earth. So cursing, cursing words will always have an impact on people. So one of the things that is a common form of cursing are, are words, name, names, calling people by names, uh, abusive words, um, you know, you're a dummy, you're stupid. Now you'd be amazed how many people have got this thing going on in their mind, I'm stupid, I'm stupid. And here they are, capable, intelligent people, but I'm stupid, I can't do that. And uh, uh, for example, one of the most common places we find it is this, when we run the Bible school. When we run the Bible school, you know what? Probably half, if not more, of the people have a struggle with. I'm stupid, I'm dumb, I can't do study. Where did they learn that? Who told you you can't do that? You're a Holy Ghost person now, you can do all kinds of things you couldn't do before. But no, there's a lock of words spoken over them or words they've spoken in or agreed with in their heart, I can't do this, I'm dummy or I'm stupid or whatever, and they've come into agreement with it. So word curses, particularly words spoken by a father, by a mother, by a teacher, by a pastor, have, can have great power in behind them and can carry on devastation in a person's life. I remember laying hands on one lady, and I put my hands on her head in the moment, um, the moment, I put hands on her head. I heard the words that were spoken over her. And I spoke them out. And she broke down and wept and wept and wept and wept. And we broke the power of those words. And she got delivered straight away of the curse that come on her life. So word curses or judgments or accusations that are made you know, by people, especially so in, one, in a family, sometimes one person gets scapegoated. It's your fault. Your fault. And, and, and you know what? They get this thing in their mind, it's my fault. And so they've come into agreement with it. It's my fault. It's my fault. You know what happens every time a problem comes up? It must be my fault. It's always my fault. And then a despair and a hopelessness. They're unable to resolve problems. Demons are working around their life. Okay, then. And then the last one I want to just um, bring out is the area of uh, burdens or expectations placed by others upon people. A burden is like a cargo. It's like a weight you carry. And it brings stress and pressure around your life. And uh, they can be a real thing that's on you, or it can be just something you perceive. For example, Jesus accused the religious leaders, you put all these expectations or burdens on people, and it just weighs them down. And now, some people have burdens placed on them by their family. And they can be around a simple thing, like you have to be here on a Sunday for lunch. Now, having family times together are wonderful, but when it actually becomes 
something that's on you so hard you daren't even break that, you've got a problem there. And of course the burdens can be uh, quite uh, intense and unrealistic. So for example, uh, uh, a person can have such, uh, you need, you know, like the eldest child, there can be a huge expectation on the eldest child to carry the other kids. And they can shudder under that and become burdened under that and it creates problems for them and then they feel responsible for everyone in life and have no proper boundaries in their life. Uh, another kind of burden that's put on is it's your fault. I mentioned that before where someone's scapegoated or blamed all the time. It's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. Uh, sometimes a mother who's got trouble with her father, with her husband, sorry, the woman's got trouble with her husband and she sees in one of the children the boy that looks like the husband or carries on like the husband, often he'll be the butt of her resentment and bitterness and the, the grief and frustration will be poured out there. And the child grows up un, un, with an unreasonable burden, I'm responsible. When anything goes wrong, it's my fault. And uh, I struggle with that for many years. I've had to wrestle, try and break that one off. Um, particularly if you're from a Catholic background, you can carry this immense sense of guilt and expectation you're not good enough somehow. And uh, it can be a very, very strong thing. Uh, another cause of this burdens on people is where a parent fails and becomes the child and puts the weight or transfers the parenting to the child. It's called parental inversion. So for example, a mother's an alcoholic or a father's an alcoholic and one of the children has to arise and in every kind of respect they carry the parent's duties except in the bed then there's what's called parental inversion. Now what happens then is the child loses their joy of childhood and there's this burden placed on them. So I have found it helpful just to break that burden of responsibility and get the, lead them in a confession to release the burden and then we just break that weight of expectation off them. And the last one under that list there is the code of silence or secrecy which often happens in a family where there's been abuse of some kind or there's dysfunction and we don't talk, we don't tell anyone about our issues or we don't talk outside family and what happens is the person becomes burdened. Uh, it can happen in church where someone makes someone be secret about the council or secret about things. This is all a burden. So for example, and if you're a leader you can be trapped in it. You, you, someone comes to you and say, well, I've got something terrible that I've got to share with you and uh, I just want to know I can trust you that you won't share it. Will you promise you won't tell anyone? Now that, my alarm bells go off when someone says, will you promise you won't tell anyone? Because it's likely what they're going to tell me is going to be a problem for me. <clears throat> so I have to usually try and say, uh, and, and it's not the same since I'm a senior leader, but, but when I was working in church and leadership level, I have to say, listen, I will respect your confidentiality, but however, if it was a serious matter and I felt it necessary to refer it to someone above me, I will do that. And you have to trust that I'll use good judgment over that. If you can't accept that, don't share it with me. Now, sometimes the desire to be in the know can cause you to lack discretion and protect yourself. So if that person had said to me, well, promise me you won't tell the pastor what I've done. Okay, I promise. Now, they tell me, they think, oh my God, they're the worship leader or this or that or the youth leader and they're sleeping with this person. And they've just told me, what on earth am I going to do? So next time I see the pastor, I'm in trouble because I've got this burden inside me. And I'm tormented by spirits because now my relationship is fractured. I can't be open and transparent. Now, I'm not talking about 
good, sensible confidentiality and counsel. We're talking about being put a burden of secrecy you can't keep. It just burdens you. And I have some people come to me say, I've been sitting on this for six months and it's just weighed me down. They tell me what's happened and they were caught in a situation like that and we break the power of that, uh, that agreement they made, release them from the bondage, command the spirit of death, because there's always a spirit of death around it, to leave it. Uh, sometimes uh, if someone's been abused, the abuser will tell them, you mustn't tell anyone. If you tell someone, you'll be responsible for the family breaking up. <gasps> and so they're caught. I want to tell someone. I don't want the family to break up. Oh, and they're burnt, tormented by spirits. And it's a huge relief to be able to get that, get that veil of silence. And it's a very simple thing in setting people free. We need to recognize what the bondage is. Let the person uh, renounce the bondage, uh, speak it off their life, and then we pray and break the power of the bondage. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I just break this bondage. Okay, I've got a list of some details on that for you in the notes on the how to break bondages. This afternoon we'll get into it and do some of it. How many of you, having gone through that teaching, would recognize that there are some areas of bondage that are sitting on your life? A soul tie, just this was just, just hand up and down. Soul tie, ungodly soul tie, all right. A death wish, how many have got that sitting there around their life? Okay, some got that. Uh, an inner vow of some kind, okay, some have got that. Some bitter judgments against someone, against man, woman, church, government, uh, authorities. It can, I mean, let's go through it. It can go through against Maori, it can go through Pagia, it can be racial and orientation. It, it's a judgment, it, it, it will always reproduce something. How many realize there's a judgment in their life around that area? Okay, quite a few. All right, then what about words spoken, curses put over you, spoken over you're in agreement with? Okay, there's a few of them there. All right, then. And how many of you got burdens that someone else put on you, either blame or expectations or secrecy? How many have got something in those areas? Well, okay, we've got hands going up all over the place. All right, then. So after lunch, we need to come in and start to have a time to minister and pray for some of these areas. And in the praying and ministering, we want to be aware of the Holy Spirit, sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and we want you to learn. It's not a freedom retreat or a restoration retreat where the focus is on the ministry. The focus here is on helping get understanding about how to minister. So that's the key is how, how to minister. And one of the best ways is to get some experience of it yourself. Okay.